Hello and welcome to the Muni Oral History Project, where we explore the stories and rich history of the Springfield Municipal Opera over the past 60 years. Stories from the people who have built, experienced, and performed what we'd like to refer to as Muni Magic. Sit back and relax and listen to these tales of Broadway under the stars. So here we are today with my friend Mary Beth Maloney, who is a Muni Board of Trust on the Muni Board of Trustees. How are you doing today, Mary Beth? Doing just fine, thank you. Hope you are too. I am. So let's just get down right down to it. So tell us about your first Muni experience. My first experience out at Muni was as a prompter back in the day when we had prompters. And a friend of mine at work knew I was kind of down. A lot of my friends had gone to college and I didn't. I was working full time. My brother had died in Vietnam and I just wasn't in a real good place. She said, you need to try the Muni. And I said, what's a Muni? And so she told me and she said, we need a prompter for Funny Girl. This was back in 1971. So I went out there. Didn't know anybody but Judy, and we got to rehearsal, and she was busy making her friends, and, you know, I was there by myself. Make a long story short, I made a, a lot of wonderful friends, but the first few nights I sat there, and I was so in awe of everybody that I didn't even talk to anybody unless they spoke to me first. I was that shy. So, tell us what a prompter is for those that may not prompter, know. What you, what I, what they had me doing was running from stage right to stage left backstage and the cast would be out on the stage and if they lost a line you tried to do a stage whisper to them to give them their line and get them back on track. And we ha only had the three stand-up mics across the center stage and one mic on each of the wing stages. So you wouldn't be picked up real easy. So. So when did you first actually get on stage? Well, after Funny Girl closed, uh, Don Bailey and Jane Presney asked me to prompt Fiddler. And I went to the first two, my first two rehearsals and I quit. I thought, I can't go through this again. I don't know these people. I'm back to square one. I'm quitting. Jane Presney called me and asked me to come back, please. And if she hadn't done that, I never would have stayed with the Muni. I guarantee you. So then the next year I auditioned and uh, I was in Most Happy Fellow in the Chorus. And the following year we did Once Upon a Mattress where I met Dennis, well, I knew Dennis, and I, but I was in the cast with Dennis and George Dirksen and Gene Rubley and all of these big shots, Jack Duffy. Oh my God, I had hit the big time, okay? And Jane told me not to audition. She'd never cast me. I was too young for the role. I was trying out for Queen Agravine because I figured I was too fat for Winifred. And uh, I just thought, don't tell me, don't. Mm -mm, not gonna work. So I auditioned. And she ended up casting me. So Dennis was my son. Georgia was my future daughter-in-law. Gene Ribley was my husband. <laughs> but my first show on stage out there was Most Happy Fellow in 72. And then Mattress was in 73. So what are some of your favorite roles that you've done? Agravain, um, Gooch in Mame. Um, 
Which MAME were you in? The 75 version. Um, then I was cast as one of the floozies in No No Nanette. And I had to dance a lot and I couldn't believe it. So you got to tap? I got to tap I got, after remedial feet lessons before and after rehearsal. And then uh, Gypsy, um, I was cast as Miss Mazeppa. And I said, well, if you're stupid enough to cast me, I'm dumb enough to do it. <laughs> and I would go to rehearsal every night thinking, okay, they're going to stage the Gypsy number, the stripper number. Finally, Joe Sandoval, who was in the chorus, he wasn't even the choreographer. He choreographed us in the kitchen at St. John's Lutheran Soul Church. And um, every night I'd wear my leotard, my tights, to get used to the idea of being Miss Mazeppa. Never took off my jeans and my T-shirt. So, yeah, that was a favorite. That was a challenge. That was method acting, Jacob. Was that the Don Bailey gypsy? No, no, this no. was in uh, 80. Oh, okay. In fact, I think Bolzer, I think Steve Bolzer directed okay. that one. We were adding new cast members opening night, for God's sake. <laughs> one of those. And I'd, people would say, when do you open? And I'd say, July 30th. Oh, that's tomorrow night. Oh, is it? Really? Yeah, you ought to come see if you get a chance. Not my proudest moment, but a memorable one. And then, of course... I guess top of the list was playing Fanny Bryce and Funny Girl after having prompted it 13 years earlier. That was special. So when did you get on the board? I started on the board, I think, in 73, maybe, as a SMOAP representative. Mm -hmm. And I served a year in that capacity. And then I was elected to the board itself. And I was one of those people that I served three, two, three-year terms, and I went off. And then they contacted me about filling an unexpired term, did that, and then got two more of my own three-year terms. Turned out I was on the board 18 out of the 23 years. So, and during that time, you know, you do various and sundry jobs. I mean, ran concessions with or concession. Well, I ran concessions with Jim Diefenbach as my co-chair. For that was for about three or four years, and ran auditions with Dennis. Um, and that was fun. <laughs> uh, and that was back in the cattle call days. Why don't you tell us about how the cattle call auditions worked? Well, we had dance auditions in the morning. And so you'd get there around eight to get signed up and you we signed up the day of auditions. So you get there around eight or eight 30 dance auditions started maybe at nine. And, um, they ran on three consecutive Sundays in those days. And then, uh, you'd have to sign up again for singing and acting auditions at noon. And so you might be out at the audition site from, 8.30 in the morning until 6 o'clock at night. And um, just depending on when you got in line or if you had somebody save your place in line <laughs> to sign up for singing and acting. And then you, you know, you got called up like you do now. Well, no, you got called up 
um, two ahead. There were two people ahead of you. You went over it with your accountant, and then you know they announced two head cut off and all that. And you you auditioned in front of the four shows, in front of all the other people out there waiting to or that had auditioned or just came to see a free show. And um, it was nerve wracking as heck. But I always kind of you know I always kind of thought it was a performance. It was a, you, you got your performance ready. And in many, many cases, it was the only chance I got to do a song that I was auditioning with, you know, for a role I wanted. It was, um, it was my one shot at doing that if I didn't get cast. And I'm one that feeds off the audience. So whether they love me or they hated me, I fed off of it, it, it you know. Um, I know a lot of people hated them, but personally, I loved them. And I always thought, if I can't do it in front of this relatively small group, how can I perform on stage? And the one time my assistant directed, that's what I looked for in, in casting, was how did they handle the crowd? So what show did you assistant direct? Uh, Sound of Music. Uh, Sound of Music. <laughs> uh, that's a Gene Bailey tribute. Gene, Gene Bailey, Gene Rubley tribute. Yes. That's what he always called it. Um, Sound of Music 86. Okay, who directed that? Maggie Boswell. Okay, can you tell us about that show? Um, the show was good. It starred uh, Doug Hahn as Gaylord Von Trapp, and Teresa Radlinski as Maria, and John Viner was in it as Elsa, and Paul Presney was, uh, what's his name? Max. Max. Mm -hmm. Jeff Prince was in it. Um, Paris Prince. Um, yeah, it was a good cast. Very good cast. It wasn't a good good fit for me because uh, I hate. I found out I am not a director. Sometimes you take on a role at the Muni, uh -huh. either as staff or as volunteer, that you find out this is not your area of expertise. Okay. Directing, I found out, is not mine. I can cr help create a character. I can clean up a scene. I can work on character, you know, development with a, with a cast member. I cannot block a scene to save my life. Maggie gave me three scenes to, to um, what's the word? Block. Block, thank you. And uh, I did one, and I said, Maggie, I will do whatever you want me to do as long as I don't have to block any more scenes. So my do whatever you want me to do was she wanted a live goat on stage. Challenger. <laughs> Challenger was born in January on the day that the Challenger exploded. So he was about six months old when we did Sound of Music. They trained him on stage every night before the cast got there with cookies. And I cleaned up the ramp every night when he came off stage. <laughs> but I had I had clean toilets and stuff out there when they'd back up, so it wasn't totally outside my realm. <laughs> what scenes did they use him in? Just the opening number. The hills are alive. Boo! 
<laughs> Never go on stage with kids and animals. <laughs> anyway, what are some of your favorite memories, maybe backstage or from the audience or? Um, I, I miss the days, I shouldn't say that. I miss our munials. At the end of the season, we would have a big party out at Pisani's Pizza and restaurant. It was a indoor outdoor dining area. And we would go out there and meet after the end of the summer and um, party all day, just talking and rehashing the summer. Back when the serenades to the shows were spontaneous from the previous or the upcoming show. Um, I miss the munials that moved out to the site where we'd have dunk tanks and and just just bring the whole season cast and crews together and really make it that muni family. You know, not my show versus your show. You know, people would say, oh, we got the best show ever done out at Muni. You don't need that competitiveness, you know? It, and I would say to him, really, what show are you all going to do next summer? Because you changed casts, you changed staffs, you know, it's, it's a moment in time and you want to love it and you, you want to appreciate it and you want to just enjoy the heck out of it. But, you know, you, you do it, you know, we'd have opening night parties at the top of the hill for the cast and the audience. Um, we truly made it a community experience. We didn't have the size audiences we have now, but still, it was just, um, it was more of a cohesiveness between shows. And I don't know, I don't know, there for a while it went through a lot of competitiveness between shows. And that, that hopefully has gone and will never come back so what's your um so muni magic is something we talk about a lot which to some people that is like literally special effects uh peter pan flying out um lifting up flying or the beast transforming into the prince and beauty and the beast but other people it's just sitting down and being transported to a far off place that you would probably never go and it's like a giant story what does muni magic mean to you i think muni magic is some of the technological stuff that we can do now that we never used to be able to do i will never forget going opening night of the first peter pan mm -hmm. and seeing carolyn flashley fly that was pure magic and the excitement building up to it was unbelievable in the audience. And of course, I, my show, Funny Girl, was opening three weeks later. And after the initial flying was over, it was like, okay, now I come out on that. I come out on stage right. And I do this on stage left. And, you know, so then I was blacking my show through the rest of the performance. So I went and saw it about four times. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, some of the technical stuff we do now is just phenomenal. But really, Muni Magic to me are the friendships that are made. Mm -hmm. 
and um, getting talking with audience members and having them want to know how to get involved. Um, that's that's the magic of of Muni for me for me personally. You know, just yeah. oh, and another good memory I'll throw in oh. um, is after the Munios, we would often go to Burnell's house, Burnell Heineke's for a party. <laughs> and this one night he invited a few people over for steaks afterwards. And the word got around. Steaks <laughs> at Bernie's. And so about 60 people maybe showed up <laughs> at Burnell's house <laughs> that night. <laughs> and so the party continued. Oh, Burnell. Yeah. And cast parties used to be at people's homes, mm-hmm. and they were truly open to the Muni community. They weren't catered affairs, you know. Everybody potlucked, but you know, you if you worked as an usher and were involved in the Muni on a regular basis, man, you went to cast parties. Yeah. But you probably heard all that by now. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't. So, um, and kind of what you mentioned goes into this concept of Muni, segues in the concept of Muni family, where some people, this has been like a literal, like family, families actually appear on stage together. And if they're not on stage, they're backstage moving sets, doing costumes, hair, makeup, or even like sometimes you have family members ushering or driving the golf cart every single night. And then others, it's just the lifelong friends. What does Muni family mean to you? Well, over the years, I did get my little sister involved in Muni for a while in high school and first few years of college. And then she moved on. My, I got my mom helping out with costumes. And so she ended up costuming a show. Um, but for me, Muni family is, again, the social network that's been built over the years for me and for a lot of people. People that I haven't seen, Jake, but there are people I haven't seen in 30, 40 years that I've, they have found me or I have found them on Facebook, and we are still friends. I mean, you know, you pick up where you left off and, and you find out what's been going on in their lives in between and um the the friends that you've you know the doug hans the dennis o'briens the marge birch Tolts, the steve kaplan's the I, I could go on and on and on and on and on naming people that you've done show after show with or or you've been on a staff in some capacity or something like that it's just you watch their kids grow up and in some cases then their grandkids grow up <laughs> if you're lucky enough to stick around. Um, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's that Muni family that kept me coming back. So who are the, some of the most special people you've met and done stuff with out at Muni? Um, well, Jane Presney, I always blamed her for me being involved. Because if she hadn't called me back at, at Fiddler's third night of rehearsal, you would not know me. Um, Mick Cass Stevens was the most talented comedian I have ever seen on stage. Um, 
the list goes on. Don Bailey was a dynamite director and wasn't afraid to take on brand new shows. You know, he directed Fiddler when we were the first community theater in the country nonprofit to do Fiddler. And they had scouts in the audience at, at pretty much every night, if I remember hearing correctly, to make sure that the choreography was as written down to the tradition, the flick of the hand with the finger up, you know, tradition. Because um, choreography, you had no variance with it. It had to be the Broadway choreography. Um, and he took that on. And we were also one of the first community theaters to do 1776. And that was his next year as directing. Um, Tom Shrewsbury, mm. you know, what a legend he, he yeah, still yeah. is. Not was, he is to me. Um, and he taught, I think Tom Shrewsbury taught me humility out there. Don't get too full of yourself. Ralph Ananachi, a name that I don't know that many people remember at all. He would, if somebody started getting a little too full of themselves with their role or their position, you know, Ralph would say, name me the leading actor in a community theater in New York City. Chicago? How about Peoria? You're a big fish in a little pond, kid. Get over it. That was humility, meaning you don't step on your cruise. You know, because we've all experienced people that do that. Uh, Pete Samuel, who went on to play Javier on Broadway and in the touring, National Touring Company. And we're trying, uh, I'm trying, well, apparently Gus was looking for his information for something. So hopefully we can find that because I would love to do an interview with him. Yeah. I mean, there were people, you know, if I look at the Muni wall out there, it's just, I've known almost every person on that wall. And they've all had an influence, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, Tom Woods, oh, my God. I'm sure you've had Tom Woods stories. Um, I prompted him in, in My Fair Lady, one of the last shows he did out there. That man couldn't remember a line to save his soul. Um, <laughs> Oklahoma, when I, was it Oklahoma? No, it wasn't. Well, Oklahoma was a special memory, too, playing Ann Eller. But, no, it was Annie Get Your Gun. I was cast in the chorus, and I debated whether I wanted to do the chorus or not. It was at a time where I had other things going on in my life. But I took it, and I, the gal that was playing Dolly Tate, a principal role, left town after, like, the second rehearsal. <laughs> So Paul Presney called me and said, would you be willing to step into the role of Dolly Tate? And I said, sure. And, uh, you know, got to work with Barb Burkhart and Mick and, again, so many names I can't even tell you. Well, opening night, the old veteran here, right? I'm telling him, now the stage is slick. It's been raining. Be careful. Don't rush. So I go out for my first scene. I turn around too quick. I'm heading up the stairs and I fall flat on my face on the porch and the steps. I mean, I took a header and jumped up, made some 
Mick Castevan style comment and, you know, plounced on into the, the hotel. I had the biggest bruise on my arm for the entire run of the rest of the show. But, uh, you know, just, just stuff like that, that, that Shirley Thomas, Betty Ward, Jack Duffy, Bob McAllister, <laughs> just so many dear and near and dear friends. Terry Dow, who was always in the chorus. What a wonderful chorus person. You know, he, and uh, who else? There was somebody else that would say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a comet. I'm always in the back row. I'm a shooting star waiting to fly. You know, so, yeah, just, I'm sure more names will come to me as soon as we stop. Okay. So another phrase that we commonly use is the show must go on. And so there's a lot of times like somebody has a wardrobe malfunction, their pants fall down or whatnot, or the set collapses or breaks or whatnot, or somebody seriously botches an entrance and everybody has to cover for them, or somebody falls on stage or... <laughs> Told you about one of them. So do you have um, any that come to mind I mean you probably were like horrified when it happened at the time years later you laugh one that sticks out of my mind I was in the chorus of Gigi and this was probably I don't know when we did Gigi I have, a, I have a program um Gigi I want to say it was like 89 maybe or a no it was in the 80s I think Well, whenever it was, we were at a stage where um, we need a new stage desperately. It had 87. It was 87. I wasn't far off. Um, it, I mean, it, it was, it had become a sponge and it was just plywood. And so Paul Presnier partnered up in this one dance scene where, um, we're waltzing around the stage, you know, in the background, most of We waltzed around. My heel got caught in the stage floor, and I danced right out of it. And my shoe was back there. And uh, I said, Paul, I just came out of my shoe. He said, where is it? And I said, it's back there. He said, okay. So we waltzed our way back, and I slipped my foot in and pulled it out real quick and never missed a beat. Honest to God, never missed a beat, but that's because he was leading. Um. You know, of course, you heard, I'm sure you've heard of the Georgia Dirksen costume malfunction. Um, which show? Funny Girl. I have not heard this one, no. Oh, well, that one, she was doing the Private Schwartz Rockaway number, and she was supposed to pull the flaps down on her military jacket and show all her medals. Well, she goes to pull the flaps down one night during a performance. <laughs> Pulled it down, the entire front broke open, and she's standing there. <laughs> and, you know, because uh, the song ends with Private Schwartz and Rockaway. Boom. And runs off stage and picks up on the mic. Oh my God, I showed my bra. <laughs> Which meant she really was yelling it because, again, we just had the three stand up mics across center stage. 
and you had to play everything right to the mic, right directionally. You know, so that was that was one of my more memorable costume malfunctions. Fortunately, I don't remember having any, but it's because I would always check before I went out. <laughs> and that was my very first show out there, so it kind of taught me a lot. I did get slugged on stage one time, though. Uh, who who punched you? Um, the other stepsister in Cinderella. She, she we were not sta friends off stage particularly, and um, every night we would do this thing where I would hit her, you know, and you you learned how to so that yeah. Sarah yeah. and reacted. Well, I just had oral surgery the day before, and she didn't miss that night. <laughs> that was fun. Um, yeah. And of course, you've heard about Gabriel, uh, uh, Vivian Gabriel coming up from underneath during Man of La Mancha. <laughs> yeah. Um, huh, I'm trying to think of, of uh, there were so many. I mean, during the mattress bit, Dennis missing his entrance on me when I said, Dennis, are you ready? He said, I'm right behind you, mama. So I head up the steps, come down <laughs> on stage, and I say, don't dawdle, Dennis. Dennis, where is that boy? He's never around when I call him. Dennis, don't or Dauntless, don't dawdle. And all of a sudden, he comes over from stage left. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, where the hell? What? And he, I said, are you ready to go on stage? And he was for the next scene. <laughs> not, <laughs> not our scene, but... <laughs> And Rubley was another one. I didn't do a lot of shows. Well, I think I think Matt was the only one he played my husband. Um, but he, yeah, he could be a challenge on stage sometimes. Do you have any favorite? Well, of well, before I say that, Uncle Gene just recently, as everybody affectionately called him, recently passed. Um, do you have any favorite Uncle Gene stories? None that I can talk about. <laughs> uh, no. He, you know, he was just often one to quote not being on stage with kids and dogs. Uh, he kind of took a W.C. Fields attitude about that. Um, so he was one you would never see in the children's show? No, not if he could help it. Not unless they added children all of a sudden on him. Uh, no, he was in King and I, so he wasn't bad. But he didn't, you know, he didn't want to perform with them in a, in a speaking role if possible. Um, yeah, Gene, Gene hosted some great parties. I do remember that. Uh, and he always had names for shows. He would come up for names of shows that I had never heard of. You know, and Santa Mucus, of course, was one. I'm sure you've heard of all. Well, I, I, you know what? Somebody told me that, and I was like, I, I've been calling this show for years. For all I know, it was just somebody heard that from somebody else, and it probably originated with Uncle Gene. It probably did, because there was also Oklahoma and Camel Crap <laughs> and Once Upon a Mattress, Once Night's Enough. Uh, maimed. Maimed, yeah. Yeah, Tender <laughs> Groin um, instead of Tenderloin. Uh, or as yeah. hell. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had them all. 
he had them all. He, I, I don't think he knew the real names anymore. Uh, but yeah, he was, he, he came off as a curmudgeon sometimes, but he was a good guy. He was a good, good guy. Yeah. Oh, and when I was mentioning names, I forgot Florence. Oh yeah. Alice Payne, um, Jack McKee, you know, Jake, when I started out at Muni, the trustees were line from Funny Girl up in the booth like God. Okay. They were the knowledgeable ones. They had the Muni history. And um, they, you know, they didn't interfere a lot. They voted along pretty well. But every now and then something would come up on the board of managers that they had the swing vote. I mean, you would woo them to get them to vote your way. And they'd surprise you. Sometimes as board members as well, voting at the board meeting, you know, sometimes the one that you thought was going to be totally against the new idea would be the one that carried it through for you. The one you thought you had in your back pocket, not so much. <laughs> Marge Bergstolt's another one. I've known her forever. Um, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> oh, well, so um, are there any other favorite memories that come to mind? You know, just some of the, the big improvements out the site. I remember when the CBs made the middle concession stand where the patio is now. And a bunch of us going out there to just feed them and take them drinks and hand them equipment. You know, those of us that didn't construct necessarily, but um, that was a big deal to get that concession stand in box office. I remember that big time. And the, and the restroom at the top of the hill and the restroom at the bottom of the hill. When I first started out there, my first two seasons, it was an outhouse. Um, and the cat, you know, the, the original, I think the only original building we have on the site right now is the scene shop. You know, I remember when we tore out the old, um, wooden benches and put in the stadium seats and gen in reserved and general admission, mm -hmm. um, we started a bonfire and Dennis and Doug and I and Marge and a couple other people, we had this bonfire going backstage. We set a tree on fire. And we didn't, it was shortly after that, they started talking about hooking up to a fire hydrant. Because we got, we got worried. I mean, we had this quarter inch hose that we're trying to put out a tree that's on fire. That was a scary moment. Um, I, I don't know. The night Liz Ogilvie missed her entrance with Dennis and he had to ad lib for five full minutes with Georgia. And then right after he got off stage, the rains came. Or right after Liz left stage and the scene was almost over, the heavens opened. We had to call the show. The next night, a mouse ate through the um, sound cords, and we had to do the entire second act without amplification. So the entire audience had, or the, the orchestra left except for the piano the accompanist and the drummer, I think. 
and we had performance no mic whole, whole second act of the show without microphones that's where you learn to project um and then two nights later is when the tornado came or maybe it was monday night dark, dark monday the tornado came through and wiped out the stage and all of all of camp carnival's sets took out the torums that's why bill rothman ended up walking off the stage and into the bush because for a week and a half he was using the bushes and the the back wall or the back torum as his guide well then they built the extension on the wing out there at an angle and he he followed it off <laughs> you know jay kept the spotlight on him so getting a show called at four o'clock in the afternoon because of a storm and then not getting the call, getting out there at seven with a beautiful evening and there's no performance. <laughs> what show was that? Oklahoma, 1980. Uh-huh. Was that the one where you were Eller? No, no, I was in the course. So you said you did play in Eller though. Yeah, I did that. I did that in 90, Was that the Ed Smith one? Yeah. On another audition memory, mm -hmm. getting called to callbacks, sitting through the entire callback, and then the director saying, okay, is there anybody that wants to read for something that they haven't had a chance to? And you go, and they look at you and say, what were you called back for that you didn't get to read? I said, I haven't read anything today. <laughs> I was called back for such and such part. Did I call you back for that? You were your twin. <laughs> kind of knew I didn't have the part at that stage. Didn't have to worry about casting night. <laughs> yeah. There, there have been some major faux pas. <laughs> you got to have a strong stomach and ego to keep coming back after a while. <laughs> but Muni gave me self-confidence that I never, ever probably would have developed. So, um, when did you become a trustee then? You know, I thought I'd never forget the, the year, but I want to say it was 2018. I want, want to say you, I think you were voted in right around this. I think you were voted in right around the same time I joined the board. 17 or 18. Yeah. Um, and you could have knocked me over with a feather. I mean, you had no idea it was coming. Dennis and Steve wanted me to meet with them at Panera's to talk about the memorial wall that Dave Britton was putting together this memorial board and they wanted to pick my brain for names that maybe they hadn't thought of or, you know. So I meet them out at Panera's. We're in the corner over behind the door and they have me sit on the, in the back and we're, we're reminiscing. We're going through different shows and people and we're pretty much done and all of a sudden the table gets moved up closer to me and I'm like why do I have the feeling I'm being cornered and O'Brien sits there and says because you are and they asked me if I would serve and I immediately started crying I mean I just the tears were I'm, I'm not a 
I'm not a real loud crier, mm -hmm. um, but the tears, my eyes just welled up. And I'm like, why me? And they were like, why not you? I said, because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an attorney. You know, I'm not a CPA. I, what, a, why me? <laughs> so, yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked, but I was so honored. So, I, I'm sorry, I can still get confused talking about it. Well, this has been great. So, um, before we go, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Any, anything special? What, what Muni means to you? Or I think the most important thing to me about Muni is that connection with the audience, the connection with each other, and that we don't lose sight of why we do it, that we want to give good performances. We want to give the best shows that we can, but we also want to keep that community spirit. And I will go to my grave talking about the community of Muni. Well, thank you so much, Mary Beth. Well, thank you. You have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thank you for letting me come in late too. No. Thank you for listening to the Muni Oral History Project. This is an ongoing effort to capture the memories and stories of the Springfield Municipal Opera. If you have pictures, videos, or stories you'd like to contribute to this effort, please email history at themuni.org. Your hosts have been Jacob Potty and Craig McFarland. Production assistance by Vanessa Ferguson and Jeremy Geckner. Special thank you to the Muni Board of Managers and the Muni Board of Trustees for their support in this effort. And thank you to all the Muni family who continue to help us create magic every summer.